I've got Costa Gavras's latest film downloaded, which is written by Varoufakis. Um, yeah it's like like as in it's a drama film as well but it's like all about the greek debt crisis as you'd kind of expect i know paul mason already made like a documentary about it but you know there's it's fertile ground motorbiking lead character called like vanis yarofakis fucking like parliament saga that he's gonna be right oh fuck i remembered i was gonna review that for an s yeah oh what what's this Oh, Tom Watson is writing some kind of parliamentary thriller. Oh, yeah. It's so like... It's going to be like, Tim Whitson was a handsome man, a real go-getter. <laughs> you, you know how, like, Bill Clinton wrote this, like, he co-wrote with James Patterson, who's, like, famous for writing airport novels. Bill Clinton wrote this spy novel that's, like, about a badass president who's, like, a former <laughs> Navy SEAL. And also the book is, like, a thinly veiled anti-Me Too movement tract, apparently. Okay, um, oh. But that's exactly what I reckon Tom Watson book is gonna be yeah no completely as long as it's not like that did you ever see the thing about like it was like an australian former defense minister or something who wrote like a, a war thriller it was just full of like really terribly written sex scenes <laughs> it was incredible i can't remember his name i always forget his name but it was one of the worst things like, i didn't read it i read extracts like <laughs> on a website but it was one of the worst things i'd ever read but it was the same thing it was very much like Jim Smith was a handsome guy, tough but firm, with a heart of gold, and all the women loved him. And a 29-inch <laughs> penis. Yeah, exactly that, yeah. <laughs> I should get into this guy. You know, you know who else has written a novel, actually, just just quickly? Uh, uh, Paul Mason. I've had the audiobook. I can't, I can't remember if it's read by Paul Mason himself. But I've had the audiobook downloaded for, like, a couple of years. It? And no, I've been... It's like I've been waiting for the perfect time. Spend... Fucking hell, it's incredible. Is it? I think, like, the bad sex prize is, like, in lots of ways, actually, rather like a, a reactionary and very english formation but there's a sex scene in it that was nominated for it and is one of the most fucking repugnant scenes it's incredibly racist it's incredibly racist and it, it has some kind of metal sex horse in it <laughs> metal sex horse did you say yes i yeah. did <laughs> you were <laughs> a sex scene entirely constituted by metal sex horse and her chrysanthemum wow <laughs> it's it's fucking it's what you'd imagine a fucking paul mason sex scene based on extraction of rare earth minerals in china and mongolia would be like is that what the book's about is it like an international intrigue kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, okay, I'm gonna have to, like, I'm not gonna fucking read it, I'm gonna listen to the audiobook while bunning big yeah. zoots. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm gonna have to, look. Like, that's gonna have to be an episode of the show at Especially some point. Especially if it's read by Paul Mason. Yeah, so. that's the thing I've got to check, like, is it the, from the horse's mouth, you know? <laughs> the metal sex horses. And the, yeah. Then the metal sex horses started <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> having intercourse with the chrysanthemums. <laughs> oh, 
word is so bad. I don't know why I thought Paul Mason would say intercourse. Uh, are you... I mean, I do have it somewhere I can check if he does. It's just like, like Congress. Or Control F intercourse. <laughs> opposing the government and opposing the Conservatives, I'm afraid it's the hard left who want to tighten their control. They want to uh, sideline uh, moderate voices. I don't think anybody should black be surprised rider, about rider. that is the nature of the hard left. And of course we know that You've the hard left too famously hard. cannot tolerate any Been dissent. Well, we know who the hard left are, who associate with the hard left. You just said that we were right to right wing, hard left agenda. Printing money, nationalisation without compensation, that sort of hard left wing position. The hard left, the hard left. Another stumbling block. The hard left, the hard left, hard left, hard left, the hard left. that you same road that you know Just not the same as it was A minute ago the hard left, 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 hard left, hard left, left, hard left, hard left, hard left, hard left, 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 hard 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 I'll suffer in silence I'll not make a sound Maybe I'll take the high moral ground Some enchanted evening I'll sing you a song Black Rider, Black Rider You've been on the job too long Let me speak loudly and proudly into Said Mike. <laughs> yeah, imagine you're you're a Mike Vart, like a, a a picket line, you know. Yeah, yeah. He's doing some kind of rousing speech. <laughs> oh fuck! I'm gonna have to do that soon, aren't I? Or um, or Vi- or Vidal, just like I am the greatest at politics. Oh. <laughs> I have some thoughts about that in these notes I've taken with Gramsci quotes, but yes, very yeah. much. Yeah, so. I know, Josie. You said you've read a few articles about this, uh, maybe possibly run through Google Translate or your your own French uh, mm-hmm. abilities. I, I, don't, I don't know if you're a French speaker. Yeah, a little bit, yeah. Okay, that's probably better than Google Translate then. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, the accuracy is probably about the same, but in different <laughs> ways. I kind of understand the grammar, and Google Translate doesn't. Yeah. But... Yeah. Like so, sometimes there's some big words that I don't know. Going through like wait what right what, what the the metal sex horse. What? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I feel I think that's um le horse metal du sex. French. <laughs> I think you'll find. Nice French is awesome. We're so, very cultured so, here. Yeah, I'm pleased to know that you've got some notes because I I um I have not. It's uh, it's all all in my my dome i did do some tweets <laughs> about it but unfortunately they suspended me so i can't use my tweets <laughs> for research i guess and to be fair we've been boosting this thing for weeks now people yeah. have had time to watch it exactly like i've seen a bunch of people like at me or at, at one of you or just tweet independently like oh i'm watching baron noir this is like pretty sick you know <laughs> a lot of people seem to be enjoying it it is indeed pretty sick all right with that said Let's do this thing. Let me get uh, another bottle of beer open, mate. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got tea. Obviously, I'm a model of sobriety. No, I'm just kidding. I'm high, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm uh, yeah, I'm drinking drinking a good cuppa myself. Yeah, I've been like working on the NS website all day, and like my hands like are kind of 
horrible claw. Oh, like my right hand it's just you know i've just been like writing so much code it's just like <laughs> I-, I thought that the playlist for the new issue was exceptionally good like even the choices that weren't the like 70 i submitted to tom <laughs> <laughs> like and that yeah. worked out really well actually yeah like, a lot of all kinds of stuff on there a i'm lot... slightly worried about my single contribution no, no. A lot of it's Toby's piece, which is obviously mm. like the print stuff, but also extending and completing like different modes of 60s and 70s acid communism as well. I'm, I'm glad that uh, The End of the Innocence, which was on my list, didn't make it onto there because I finally sought out <laughs> the original. And it's fucking horrific. Like, it sounds yeah, kind of cool yeah. when Bob Dylan sings it, but I always thought the lyrics were a bit shit and... <laughs> Yeah, it's a shit. I just think that old man Bob has a certain gravitas that fucking Don Henley doesn't, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I think that's probably a massive understatement. Oh my god, Uh, The History of the Eagles is one of my favourite music documentaries, though, because they're just such cunts. Like, they're just (laughs) (laughs) full of themselves. One Uh, of my favourite episodes of the incredibly problematic US YouTube series Yacht Rock. Oh fuck um, yeah, Yacht Rock. Is the Steely Dan versus the Eagles one? Like <laughs> that, it's that's incredible. Great. Like, the Eagles are just like schoolyard bullies and Steely Dan and nerds, but they're in bands <laughs> obviously. Like they're just like in their 20s and in bands, but they're just continually like stealing Steely Dan's lunch money. <laughs> and stuff. like and then Steely Dan take them out with some dark sarcastic lyrics. Oh like oh, the dark sarcasm awful. is so yeah. good. They're like pressing their ears up to the stereo to hear the dark sarcasm and it's like and and then they hit back at steely dan with like you can stab us with your steely knives but you just can't kill the beast and steely dan are like those darned eagles yeah it's not that they go around to the eagle's house and like smash it up with a baseball bat and then the eagles get them back by lobbing a brick into the studio when michael mcdonald's doing his 450th vocal take (laughs) and like hitting him right in the larynx that's hilarious yeah the (laughs) michael mcdonald stuff is so good in that i I really want to revisit yacht rock now (laughs) yeah it's got some kind of dodgy bits in because i think middle class white american college boys Mm. Even if they're like kind of musicy and cool, have some pretty edgy moments, particularly around like 2008. Yeah. And there's some bits now where I'm just like, don't think I'm into that. That's the thing. When I would have watched it, I would have been more like that. So, yeah. so I don't remember the precise ways in which it, it is problematic, but I, I take your word for it. But there's loads of stuff that's literally just made it into like my kind of headcanon about people. Like, I am absolutely 100% convinced, unless I challenge myself, that Kenny Loggins regularly goes to a Winnie the Pooh convention called PooCon. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Steely Dan Eagles episode is definitely the one oh, that I so watched good. several times. That's probably the funniest one from my recollection. It's incredible. Should we talk about, I mean, I guess so the 2000s, the early 2000s the early... had Yacht Rock as the, the great prestige series of its day (laughs) and today on real politic we're going to be talking about the kind of modern day equivalent no it's nothing at all like yacht rock but i don't really think it's that much like the commonly cited antecedents of house of cards and guess the west wing some people have compared it to today on real politic we're talking about baron noir which is a French miniseries, not miniseries, a, a <laughs> series that's had three series so far. 
started airing in 2016 and the third series aired in february to march of this year and as i understand it there may be another series but we can get to that in a minute today our guests are from new socialist the online publication of record that i do a bit of stuff with i've been working on a long column for their new bad new times issue that will be coming out this month it's two of the publication's editors, Tom Gann and Josie Sparrow. Hello, comrades. Hiya. Hiya. Hello. Great to have you on the show. How are the two of you doing? Yeah, we're all right. We're all right. Ready to uh, talk about the French contemporary equivalent to Yacht Rock, as I think <laughs> you were arguing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Baron Noir. How did you two get into Baron Noir? Was it through me? It was. I saw you tweeting about it. And then I looked it up because, you know, kind of like revenant Francophilia from doing French at like secondary school, basically. And I thought, well, this looks fucking rad. So I mentioned it to Tom and Tom got really into it. And we've been kind of looking for something to sort of binge because we spent a lot of time over the winter watching incredibly intense Korean historical political dramas. Okay. Um, That sounds pretty good. I mean, they're great, but they're all, like, 30 episodes long in a series, and, like... Oh, I don't like, know much about Korean TV. Obviously, I've seen a fair few films. Real, like, historical stuff, so it's all just, like, some king in the Joseon period and some sort of intrigue, <laughs> and we binged, like, three of those and then kind of made ourselves a bit sick, you know, yeah. eating too yeah. many chocolate oranges. So we're sort of looking for something else to get into, and we're like, oh, let's watch this, and we were just completely hooked. Like, it was a great recommendation. Yeah, thank you, comrade. Mm. No, I, I mean, I always love to be um, a yeah. hashtag influencer. <laughs> um, I'm, like, happy to spread the word about this excellent work of television. I guess I've seen guess a couple of British political dramas recently. I'm thinking there was that show Press, which was, like, this awful... I mean, it was more of, like, a media drama, but it was, like, you've got the good paper of The Guardian and the bad paper of The Sun, and they're opposite each other. Oh, odd couple, what will ensue? And, like, one of the characters literally seems to be, like, based on James Ball. Just, like, like... he looks exactly like James Ball, like, biographical details of the same. He's, like, a data nerd as well, Mr. Richard Miller style. So that was one. That was pretty bad. The Bodyguard, I guess was kind of political but that felt more like oh, lurid that felt like a kind of 90s film starring like robert redford and you know <laughs> i can't really think like what has been a high quality political drama in the english language of late but i don't but think there has been one the french seem to have done a good job of this can you think of anything this century <laughs> probably not <laughs> I mean, it's quite interesting, isn't it? The like the the kind of like the sort of political kind of like show that pops into the head instantly when you're thinking about like British produced like political shows is the thick of it. Mm. What does it mean that that's actually just satire, not an actual serious attempt to engage with political problems? I think the thing that Baron Noir reminded me of the most was I don't know if either of you guys saw this, but Borgen. 
the Danish political drama, but from about maybe five years ago. Six I years heard ago. about it. To be honest, be I think honest, I just like stereotyped Scandinavian television and assumed it was about murder. Yeah, it's weirdly enough, it's not about murder. It's a little bit like Baron Noir in quite a lot of superficial ways that maybe we can get into a bit later. But it's interesting because it's it's almost like from the perspective of maybe the character would, that would be the most parallel to Amelie in Baronois, okay. a woman who actually does become head of state. Obviously, Amelie in Baronois is already like quite centrist, whereas mm. Begitta in Borgen, I think, sort of has to become more centrist, is kind of forced into it through like just the kind of problems of coalition politics. I mean, it's really, really interesting. And I think that's got the most kind of similar sort of vibe, but. Again, it's very much like from the other side. Because the interesting thing about Bar Noir is what you've essentially got is like a classic anti-hero, but not in like the kind of like shitbag kind of Batman way that like is the only way that anyone seems to be able to do anti-heroes at the moment. And also like his politics seem pretty good. Like he seems to be on the left of the Socialist Party and then when the Socialist Party is fucked, like he just kind of accepts that and is just still on the left. I guess he's probably not necessarily the most radical figure in the series but on the other hand at least he's not like obsessed with quote-unquote secularism or or what have you yeah or like vidal who's like you know radical in principle and in theory but his praxis is basically just him being a big old napoleon but of the left so yeah i took some notes and like most of them were like bits out of gramsci but like (laughs) vidal's a really fascinating character because he's a dickhead. Like, I mean, I think, like... <laughs> he's the sort like of Elishon any... character, isn't he? Mm. Yeah, no, like, like, yeah, I think that's worth saying. Like, I think there's something interesting about it in terms of how much it's meant to, like, shadow, like, actually existing French political developments. And obviously, yeah, Vidal is the Mélenchon character. And I think what's really interesting with him is, obviously, like, in terms of, like, formal politics, he's the Mélenchon character, and the Baron's very much like a figure of the Socialist Party. So, like, obviously, like, Vidal is ostensibly to the left but his whole like manner of doing politics is fucking horrific yeah he makes a kind of faustian pact with the right eventually and then realizes yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh no what have i created yeah and i think there's a bit in gramsci that i haven't seen people write on much and like i think it'd be really interesting to explore where gramsci has this huge and very extensive like critique which would definitely apply to melanchon as well as to vidal the like eloquent politician like the mm. politician who gets really carried away Yeah. Which is like absolutely the Vidal character. So Gramsci has this idea that contrasting like sort of the conventional eloquent politician and like political eloquence is a conventional mode of doing politics with the sort of politician who's very much actually like like the Baron, like an active participator in practical life, an organiser, a permanent persuader, not just a simple orator and not eloquent. And then, obviously, Gramsci has this idea that the eloquent politician, Mélenchon, Vidal, is just a momentary mover of feelings Mm. and still maintains, Mm. like, the specialised function of the politician. Whereas I think most of the really interesting thing about the Baron is he's very much in touch with popular life for good and bad. Yeah. Yeah. So, So we have it beginning, you know, how does it begin? You know, it begins with him trying to fix up some kind of money scandal where quite clearly and i think this is really important for the whole program like ethically he's in the right but he has to do some like really squalid things i i watched that episode and yeah i think it seems sort of fucked up but i guess that's more the way it turns out and it's not so much 
because that first episode ends quite tragically. Yeah. But what he's doing isn't particularly malicious or anything. Well, it's weird, isn't it? Because he's basically like shaking down housing developers to give <laughs> trade unions and the Socialist Party money. Um, it's like <laughs> it's a, cool. a kind of weird relation, mm. which ends up in him like, and I think this is where I think it's like really interesting in terms of like his connection, unlike almost all the other like left politicians in the programme to popular life. It ends up with him having to engage like low-level criminals to sell his telly to cover this corruption scandal, basically. Because yeah. he still has these almost like modes of contact with life, whereas yeah. everyone else is in this fucking Elysian world. And what's really interesting as well is obviously he wouldn't have had to do that if he wasn't connected to the... Obviously, you know, the open of the whole series is that this presidential debate for Logier, the Socialist Party potential president at that point, his candidacy, and obviously the Baron. I've just noticed we've just been calling him the Baron. Should I name him? Philippe Rigvet? Uh, yeah. <laughs> otherwise known as the Baron, to me. <laughs> um, he's a mate of mine. I call him the Baron. <laughs> First um, name terms. Yeah. First name Baron, second name Noir. Um, <laughs> but, like, because he's an advisor on that, he can't be involved in any kind of scandal so it's it's very much about this disconnection of yeah this sort of elysian politics the kind of upper echelons of french political life with what's actually necessary to make change on the ground which is actually just doing all this weird scam shit and i mean anyone who's ever spent any time like organizing half your life spent like doing you know i mean like you talk about this with housing organizing and stuff like half your life is basically just either rules lawyering or trying to find ways around loopholes and stuff like that (laughs) so that you can actually achieve good outcomes for individuals also like i think a huge dynamic of the program is like the hugh newton thing like in politics you're like irrelevant if you can't deliver consequences mm-hmm. and obviously rick requires this capacity through political effects but also like extra political effects to deliver consequences i'm in the middle like of being like a trade union rep in like a stupid dispute and like you know <laughs> like a huge part of this is like what's our capacity to deliver consequences basically what threats what angles of leverage can you open up and i think one of the really fascinating things about baron noir is how much of it is that mm-hmm. are like compared to like the world of official politics where you've got this figure with one foot in official politics and one foot in an intersection of like popular politics and criminality essentially in terms of do you know what best I mean? intersection that's, real, that's can, real intersectionality yeah yeah but somebody who <laughs> can deliver these kinds of consequences basically and that seems to be like one of the sort of big things yeah. running through it yeah i mean i was thinking a lot this is a thing like i'm really interested in like in terms of i think like the conventional way of reading this is rick Fatt's like a machiavellian figure and mm. that'd be like the conventional way to read it I think the correct way to read it is Rick Vard's a Machiavellian figure, but Machiavelli's good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least he, he does seem to have some kind of political convictions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some ideology. I think one of the things that feels kind of heightened about the show is the way that alliances are constantly shifting. One minute somebody's in bed with the left and the next they're in with the right and then the next the person who is in with the left is in with the far right. And this keeps going round. But on the other hand, there is an element of that in politics. Like I say, maybe it's a heightened representation of it. 
But I mean, if you look at the composition of any kind of shadow cabinet or cabinet, it is just this, right, who can we pull from here to keep the balance in a certain way? Can I pull someone from here to keep these people happy? Oh, I want to make these people really unhappy, so I'll appoint this person, this person, and this person. Where's streeting? You know, <laughs> um, it's both... Obviously the show, like, I say it's not like House of Cards or any like of that stupid shit where they're just like murdering each other and then talking directly to the camera or whatever. But it is still a kind of like pacey, thriller-esque kind of thing. But maybe it is just an exaggerated version of what politics is like a lot of the time. So I was thinking about this a lot. Something that's like feels really important, I think, is England. And I think probably one wants to insist on England here. You like insist Scotland's... on England these days, and they've yeah, yeah. in prison. I'm a progressive patriot. Um... <laughs> Please take that back. I take that back. I refuse that. I've been beefing with <laughs> in his mentions, but like I think like a really decisive thing about like England, and I think like England is important here because Scotland's a bit different. Is England's retained essentially like a two and a half party system for like the last 35 years at least since like the sdp alliance formation but obviously france hasn't i think like a lot of the machiavellian drama is constituted by the fact france's party systems in complete crisis and it's very porous as well i mean there's the the whole point in the series Mm. where amelie and her weird pal you know like torigny the centrist guy whose entire house seems to be a bar (laughs) like like the weirdest fucking house i've ever seen um they just in the middle of her presidency, just fuck off and make a new party of their own. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, like, you can just do that in the middle of a presidency, apparently. This is chaos. I guess, again, it's just, like, it's a heightened version of what Macron did. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. They literally say in the series, like, right, well, it says, oh, well, you destroyed the Socialist Party. And, like, I know, like, Francois Hollande thinks that Macron destroyed the Socialist Party. Like, yeah. that that's a pretty common thing. But like you say, the way that she does it is way more extreme in that she literally, just in the middle of a presidential term, is like, I'm destroying the French party system. <laughs> and she does yeah. so much shit like this. She's real, like, she's got a real kind of, like, Iron Lady thing going on. Like, they literally do cite Thatcher and describe her as a, an Iron Lady at some point in it. Mm. Um, and her politics, to be honest, are very right wing. She like just does extrajudicial killings at some point in season two. I think there's something really interesting going on here, though. Like, I think one of the things that really interests me about it is because there's essentially a structural party crisis. The huge thing, and like people just randomly appear saying, "I have this new way of polarizing the situation." Everything is kind of feels structured around who can you hegemonize, and if you can't hegemonize people, people will hegemonize you in terms of how can you construct new polarities. And I think this is where Rickvard is a good figure because Rickvard's insistence is always we will find ways somehow of polarizing left right. Whereas almost all the other people, and it doesn't matter if they're of the center, the far right, or the sort of Vidal sort of like shitty, eloquent left, like their line is always. <laughs> Can we polarise around technocracy, which is like, you know, progress versus regression, or populism, which is like elite against people, and obviously like that can be filled in with all kinds mm. of content. And where I think there's like a real moral core to Rick Vart yeah, is that yeah. like 
the technocratic and populist polarizations can be like filled in in all kinds of like bad and regressive ways but the left-right polarization if you're on the left you can do a lot of bad stuff but there is like a kind of hard limit on how bad you can be rick Vutt's hegemonic strategy is always like can we polarize left right yeah where yeah. everything is chaotic and i think the other properly like dialectical representation in the program is the dependence of like technocratic polarizations and populist polarizations on each other yeah whereas the whole process of rick Vutt's politics is can we refuse this can we unify the left and disorganize the right but what's really interesting to me in his Left Unity project is not the kind of Left Unity project that we see here, where it's like, oh, can't we all just get along with Blue Labour? Yeah, totally. His Left Unity project, I mean, he's been on, he's on about it all through, like, all three series. Like, this is, like, you know, very much his sort of thing. But the moment of it comes when everything's threatened by a completely anti-political figure in the form of that Kristoff guy. Yeah. Such a weird dude. Skin-crawling character. Well, what's really interesting is what he's proposing is basically the end game of what Extinction Rebellion proposed, <laughs> which is governance by sortition. So that was really interesting to me, like, just to watch this and just be like, that is anti-democratic. It's completely anti-democratic. And seeing Philippe, like, take him apart on the presidential debate and being like, you have to have some kind of ideology. If you have no ideology, then you're just making space for the grimmest kinds of ideology to, like, make their way through. What happens if your jury suddenly, you know, your people chosen by sortition all have really racist views somehow? And they decide that they're going to, like, make a law that people who aren't fucking white French can't vote or whatever. What happens then? Third series, this Mm. kind of supposedly anti-political populist movement emerges... And it's led by this guy. He's like, he's a historian, isn't he? Oh, a science teacher. He's like, he's an idiot. Because like, whenever he has these conversations (laughs) with Vidal, he's like, oh, sorry, I didn't realise this member of the Front National was a racist. The guy is like, he just seems like to live in a, basically like in this just blissful, maybe probably pseudo intellectual ivory tower. He's got his nice little house and he just does YouTube videos. Where he... See, I think you're a bit kind to him there. I think he was trying to play left and right off each other. I think he's a completely cynical character. I think he's a lot politically sharper I mean, than that. The bit where just before the election, when he's like in the bunker room with the United Far Right people, like the Front National and like the other like even more far right people. Yeah. The Front National guy brings around loads of really, really fancy sashimi <laughs> and like smoked salmon. And then when he tries to make an alliance with someone else on the TV, the Front National guy's like, I can't believe he came here and ate my salmon. And then... That's genuinely an incredibly beautiful scene. It's really good because it's just like, this is it, isn't it? Like, he did just show up for the salmon. He took what he could off (laughs) you. I think you're right that the guy is incredibly cynical, yeah. And he was maybe playing a bit dumb with Vidal because Vidal has this kind of flirtation with him and unfortunately though he does come to regret it he goes too far and basically Mm -hmm. converts his party to the cause of this guy who he eventually realizes a monster who is in part created and Reichwart makes a mistake too because he goes on this guy's YouTube channel to debate him and just ends up giving this guy so much publicity Mm -hmm. Uh, although it's interesting because it does seem to be saying don't platform these kind of people, although in the end Reichwart does kind of just about defeat 
only it's a narrow win but he like, yeah he defeats him in the arena of debate in a way but i think like the di- in the marketplace of ideas exactly. <laughs> i think the dimensions of this are really interesting because i think like the really striking thing with vidal the eloquent melanchon character is he's like a character you know obviously you have this tradition and it affects british political thought but you have it more in french thought like the sort of le clown move political ontology tradition that you're making this argument that politics is structurally antagonistic mm. and an argument for like a left populism which is obviously the vidal melanchon position but obviously i think nothing except to put in a reference to ns apart from like the two pieces like chris green's written for ns i don't think actually anything else apart from those two pieces really demonstrates where thinking you can have a left populism and polarize an elite people Mm -hmm. format like the way in which this is like a terrible politics is so clearly demonstrated in this like massive failure of Vidal around this. I think something interesting as well about that relation is, is obviously Vidal's like, fucking hell. I've spent some time in some philosophy departments. Vidal is every single fucking philosophy lecturer I've ever had. I've got great thoughts on a lot of quotations and I'm going to share them with you. <laughs> yeah, like, like, have you read Socrates? And yeah, Mark yeah, when he goes to Amelie's place yeah. and he's like... And he's just yeah. throwing them at you so fast yeah. that you're just like... 100%, yeah. But what's really interesting is I think, you know, he's obviously somebody who, by implication, he will have read a lot of Gramsci. Yeah. I I think in that Christoph guy, he thinks he's found his organic intellectual. Mm. I think he's found, like, the person who's emerged from the populace, from the little people, from the hoi polloi, because actually I think Vidal is theoretically committed to democracy, but practically completely not. Because he's a traditional intellectual. Yeah, there's that whole bit where he gets really angry with Philippe. He's like, de boule purpose, c'est moi. You know, like, this this party is me. I am it. (laughs) That's terrifying. Pretty right wing, you know what I mean? Like, body of an Asian stuff. So I think he's found, I think he thinks he's found in Christoph, this sort of, like, completely malleable, naive, organic intellectual who doesn't know anything. But obviously Christoph is just, like, 4D chassing him. Yeah. And it's really sad in a way because Vidal is sort of naive at the same time as being incredibly yeah. cynical. I mean, this is something I was thinking about, the like eloquent mode of politics. So I guess the other thing that we watched between said Korean series and Baron Noir was Our Friends in the North. Oh, yeah. And I think there's a really... I was going to say tragic, but it's not tragic. It's the scene that introduces the tragic element. There's the scene where Donahue is selling the like whole like modernist streets in the sky project and shit, what's the guy's name eddie wells like you know after the speech it's like you got a bit carried away there didn't you and something similar is going on there's the same thing of like the eloquent left politician like fools themselves mm. yeah like their eloquence gets them carried away because obviously donahue wants to think that it's an emancipatory project, that maybe there might be some corruption around it, but that's worth it for the sake of the project. Mm. And that people are buying into it because of his oratory. They're not. They're buying into it because they get bribes. And I think there's like a similar dimension where you have the left populist politician basically like gets carried away with their own status as a what if a traditional intellectual, but of the left. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. I think one of Vidal's most eloquent speeches that's most demonstrative of his eloquent mode of politics is 
when he's basically finally pressured into having some kind of internal democracy yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in in the the Vidal party whatever it's called <laughs> and so they're having a debate and this hip young gunslinger who basically supports the cynical fascist youtuber uh, oh god the guy there, with like, the soft left haircut <laughs> we got we got to support this guy he's telling it how it is and Vidal just comes up and gives like this fucking great speech He's like, red, brown is never the road to go down. It always ends in failure and misery and just gives some some real fire and brimstone, probably gets like some, again, like some Socrates and Marx and, you know, Mm. probably Lenin and all, all kinds of stuff in there. And then you just think... So you knew all this, and you still kind of <laughs> you like, still pl- fucked around with it, didn't you? Yeah, like, you still yeah. like played with fire. Mm. The fact that he has this change of heart, it makes him look like misguided, and yeah. and he does have to basically just eat shit in the end and support Le Baron for oh. the presidential nomination. Which, by the way, I fucking love all the left unity stuff at the end. It's just like, fuck yeah, left unity! When you have that moment and, like, Kallenberg, who's, like, soft left, I'd say, he's just... He's a... such a mel, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah. just a kind of... He's not, like, the most right-wing guy. Like, the right-wing of the Socialist Party in this is Amelie, definitely. But Lord, Amelie Lord... and all her weird advisors that all look the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Law here to an extent mm. and stuff, although he doesn't seem to be as right-wing as Amelie. Uh, I guess we can we can return to be like the ideological and factional questions in a second, but you have Kallenberg, who's this kind of socialist party functionary, who's basically just like Keir Starmer politically or something. Also and, looks um, a bit like him, to be fair. He, 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 he is a bit quiffy, isn't he? Yeah. I don't know if he's quiffy, but he's definitely ham salad <laughs> he doesn't. He doesn't look as much like a Billy Bear as Stammer. He's got a bone structure. But no one does. But like, mm. but you've got him and Vidal, who have previously been like mortal enemies. Like they literally have a fist fight, and Kallenberg oh, is like, "You at Philip's wedding." Cunt. Yeah. We should talk about the wedding. Actually, mm. the wedding is so sick. But yeah, at the end, they're like, "Yes, I agree with Kallenberg. Yes, I agree with Vidal." And they're like standing on stage at the rallies together, and then Vidal comes up and he's now like using his beautiful rhetoric for good and he's yeah. kind of like you gotta support the baron he's the greatest <laughs> he's the greatest guy ever as socrates once said so it is kind of again maybe it's like a bit of a wish fulfillment in like it's like if we'd have been able to like top that 40 percent you know something mm. like, something like that like over here maybe I, it's just me thinking what if people had got behind Corbyn and giving a little bit of catharsis there although realistically to like the prospects of Jeremy Corbyn becoming Prime Minister Le Baron does not win by a large margin (laughs) but I guess I just wanted to give a little word for like those fist pumping moments of like it is really lovely and when they're at that big rally and there's all like the techno playing and then like Philippe comes out and he's like they have all this bad music playing. I don't know why. Like, and it's just incredible. Which is really good because when that was happening, there were scene setting shots of the rally with all the pumping music, and Tom was like, 
this reminds me of fucking Kinnock. This reminds me of Kinnock going, we're all right, we're all right. And I was like, oh no, if this is them signaling that the Baron's going to lose to Christophe Mercier, the fucking crank science teacher, like, I'm just going to flush my own head down the toilet. Like, I just feel miserable about this. The other bit, which was like, fuck yeah, socialism for me, I think I literally like muttered under my breath, like outside in the garden at about 5pm watching it on my tablet with a large zoot, like, fuck yeah socialism I mean, because, <laughs> because like he's just giving a speech about we gotta liberate the working class or something I don't know like people say left and right isn't relevant anymore but it is but again that's mm. what I love about Reichwart he's an ideologue in a good way he does not give a shit about any of this oh it's not left v right anymore it's open v closed or any of that shit which (laughs) other characters are into or like oh the left have now got to be super concerned with secularism nah he's not about that shit but he gives a speech and then it cuts to his daughter in the crowd like that's my dad and i was like just tears she was like hiding from her girlfriend that he was her dad because yeah. They all thought he was like some creep because he got put in jail. Yeah, they all all like her radical. She's a pretty cool character because like she's like big in the socialist party at first, and then she probably, I guess, she leaves at some point. Does she join Vidal's party? Yeah. Yeah, yeah like, she starts do, like basically. working for them. Yeah, apart from Kallenberg, who's just basically when like much. when Amelie becomes president. I think it's kind of significant. I think there's something really interesting going on with the daughter and the friends in terms of. I guess like watching this as a British person, like obviously on the one hand, the whole dimension is like, can you renew a meter on project and do it right? And that's yeah, obviously yeah. an incredible levels of social movement and industrial militancy as well. So as a British person, it's very much like, this is incredible. Why is Britain so shit? Yeah. But equally, I think a lot of that's undercut by the sort of trajectory the daughter takes, because obviously she gets into urban decolonial movements. There's a whole kind of dynamic there of the way in which the sort of Republican logic means it's really hard to, like, articulate anti-racist claims. Mm-hmm. What, and, what's like, the specific thing? Like, is she's protesting a thing where there's no white people allowed, is it? Yeah, It's, it's like think... an education day. It's like a teaching, yeah. isn't it? At, like, an occupation of a university. And she goes as a photographer with her girlfriend because her girlfriend's obviously black French. And she goes along as a photographer because she wants to document it and is basically told no white people can come in because this is like a decolonial day. And then her girlfriend tries to argue with the person and she tries to argue as well. And then it's all rendered moot by the fact that loads of fash come in with baseball bats and beat everyone up. But I think there's the wider dimension in the middle of the second series. There's a sort of movement around school reform and better funding for schools, getting rid of certain structures in schools that I think, however shit Britain is, and like, you know, again, fucking sound like some progressive patriot again, like, however shit Britain is, I think in Britain around that episode, plausible anti-racist claims could be made and registered. Whereas I think the whole debate about schooling in the middle of the second episode ends up being a tremendous mess and the alliances are a mess because the obvious claim that the structure of funding of French schools has racist effects can't be made within the logic of the Republic. So everyone involved in the situation has to like get round this in convoluted ways. Yeah, and I mean it there leads is to like tremendous Mm. like contradictions and mess there is a way where and if you do have conversations with french obviously generally white french people who are not enormously politically engaged in the ways that maybe we are they almost point to the ideology of the republic as a reason why stuff can't be happening yeah 
it can't be Islamophobic because no one cares about religion because laicity. Yeah, it can't yeah. be racist because egality. And it's like, well, no, these were ideals, not just like yeah. magic words that just conjured a thing into being. And there's yeah. like episodes and episodes, actually, of Rick Vard to an extent and marginalised black people trying to assert because of racist dimensions, schools are bad for us. Because of that left, enlightenment, liberal, laicite logic, that claim just can't register. It can't have political effects. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except rioting. The political structure just can't accommodate claims that... Yeah, I even think in Britain, which is not great, but I think in Britain a claim like that could be made and become politically effective, but absolutely can't in the programme. Tom, you've got so many notes. <laughs> I didn't make any notes. I'm just, just relying on, like, <laughs> the energy of the Baron, like, is going to flow through me. It's just a couple of <laughs> quite. I've just got my big book of, of inspirational quotations. Um, I've just, Your big I've, book of, of the Baron, just all the I've, good I've, stuff he's said. <laughs> no, no, it's just, just general inspirational quotes. I've highlighted all the ones I think Vidal would use. I just sort of for Socrates, Socrates and uh, Lenin. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's basically Vidal. Like, if you cross Socrates and Lenin, you've kind of got the worst bits from both. <laughs> then there he is. There's your boy. It's really interesting. He was just such a well-drawn character. I was really impressed. But Definitely. I'll... He's played so well by literally, I don't know, because on Wikipedia it doesn't say who plays him. Like, they've got every major character apart from Vidal for some reason. Even the way, wait, the bits where he's just, like, boring his wife over breakfast <laughs> about all this crap, and she's just like, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, I just... love when he's, like, he realises that he's been played by the Baron and he's just like up late just like stewing like that fucking prick I'm gonna get him I'm gonna get him as Lenin once said you know like <laughs> as Lenin famously really... said that prick I'll get him one day yeah. <laughs> the lost uncovered condemnation of Stalin Lenin wrote before his death <laughs> <laughs> that um... damn Stalin <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's it's just it's such a good performance I'm now I'm now on IMDB trying to find out who plays him it is just spelt Vidal as in Gore, yeah as in Gore Vidal yeah 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 okay uh, he's played by Francois Morel as in the mushroom <laughs> <laughs> Francois no, Morel of mushroom fame is that is he in a it, it, it does does his surname mean mushroom or is he yeah there's a, a kind of mushroom called a Morel <laughs> oh right I was like is he in a film called the mushroom uh, oh yeah, I was like, yeah, yeah, all these like obscure French guys called Francois, like, yeah, I've heard of them all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what this guy has been in. I bet he's quite venerable because the guy who played the Baron Cadmirad is pretty well known yeah. in France, but as a comedian, yeah. really interestingly. He's French-Algerian as well, yeah, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's not just like... I mean, I guess he, he, like, could probably pass for white, but it's not, you know, it's not just a straight-up white French guy in the lead. Well, what's really interesting is this is kind of like gestured towards a little bit in the script. There's a few moments where people just offhand kind of talk about all oh, the foreigner yeah, or the foreign mm -hmm. criminal. Yeah, and I think he mentions his heritage a couple of times. His, and it's kind life. of like, it's not quite sure what it is. It's just we know that it's not Jewish because he always mm -hmm. does that really, really cringe thing when he's with Kallenberg, like insisting on saying Luchheim instead of like <laughs> Sante. <laughs> like... <laughs> 
<laughs> and it's just like obviously like really good natured thing, but also quite cringe. And Kallenberg's always like, haha, yeah, Lukeheim. <laughs> <laughs> just looking through the guy who plays Fidel's credits, uh, I can't see anything I recognise in there, but he seems to have done a lot of french tv including in recurring roles in various series so as you say he's probably quite venerable just getting back to what we were talking about before basically i agree with what you said about the kind of the way they bring diversity it basically just kind of like the french attitudes to islam and, and incorporating mm. different religions into the republic and so on i i found that a bit of a mess as well i think part of it was an element of cultural alienation on my part similar to when i watched Lilyhammer. Which is this series, it was it did three series, and it was like a joint Netflix, or maybe it's just on Netflix, but it was like Scandinavian TV. Because uh, uh, Lillehammer's in Norway. in Norway, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Norwegian-American, there you go. But Stephen Van Zandt plays this gangster who moves out to Lillehammer in Norway. And there's just so much weird shit about Islam in it, man. It's just really, yeah. I found it so off-putting. Just all this stuff about, like, just, like, some stuff about diversity, or some stuff about political correctness, or some stuff about, like, terrorism and counter-terror. Just, like, all the, they found all the ways to work in this weird, practically French-style fixation with Islam, and not in a good way, as in being a scholar of one of the world's great religions or anything. What did you think of the way that the show specifically handled counter-terrorism and Amelie's own war on terror when she becomes president? Because I found that, at least initially, slightly alienating. It felt like a more conventional... You know, I mentioned the bodyguard earlier. In Britain or America, if you get a political show, quite often a large amount of it will be brown-skinned character actor number nine playing indistinguishable terrorist number 17 is about to do something sinister and the good people in the control room have got to stop it. I found it slightly alienating but on the other hand I do feel like centrist leaders like Amelie Doran do do have a tendency to just start doing extrajudicial killings and shit once they get the power i think what's really interesting to me is like there's a few things going on with that there's a few levels that we could talk about it on i think it's a really crucial moment for the character of amelie and maybe we can talk about that in a bit because i've got like bare thoughts about amelie but like (laughs) i guess the thing is as well it wasn't consequence free and it wasn't a happy ending we saw the actual pain of the people's families when they were protesting outside the police station that was what Amelie used to step down to be impeached so that Philippe could become the president and that yeah, basically led to time. led to her death. Yeah. It's a really important and not consequence free thing which I think is the difference between like British and American stuff. It wasn't just that she felt sick doing it and she did like it wasn't like an easy thing to do and I almost got the sense that she kind of did it because she felt like that's what presidents do. You have to make an important decision to be respected and to be respected by these I don't know whatever the fucking French CIA guys are you know what I mean like all these absolute creeps Les spook. <laughs> ah, yes, les spook. Les spook. <laughs> you know, it was almost this sort of like, you know, I'm I'm one woman in a room full of men, mm. and I'm basically trying to be tough and respected. Whereas actually, the tough and respectable thing to do would have been like, no, we're not killing them. You do get the perspective in the show from certain characters 
that you know she was in a position of incredible responsibility she had to make a tough choice who are you to say you wouldn't do the same some characters articulate that but i feel mm, like in like... a british or american show like that would be the end of it they'd all just kind of be like well you did what you had to do pat on the back thank you for defending our freedoms whereas as you say there is actually some kind of consequence yeah in, in this show in a british or american show they would have found mom making equipment or like an actual like huge constructed bomb or something in their house when the special forces broke in to do the assassinations in that kind of show they would have found this very very imminent threat whereas these were kids who'd been incredibly radicalized and they had daesh flags up on the wall and stuff like that not saying politically they were like sound guys but as far as i could tell they weren't planning anything necessarily they were just watching shit on youtube yeah, maybe i've misremembered yeah definitely i think the chance watching yacht rock sorry <laughs> Yeah, I think, like, the chance they would have done something really bad on the logic of this thing was at the very least left open, wasn't mm. it? Which seemed like a relatively brave decision about the dimensions of it. I remember watching it that bit, and this was a bit I thought, actually, this feels a misstep and tedious. And then actually, like Josie's saying, some of the consequences down the line feel like narratively it justifies it a bit mm, more yeah. actually both in terms of what happens at the very end and also how it leads to riots and development of contradictions around that so i felt yeah. like at the time i found it tedious and i was like really worried it would go down a certain direction which i guess is what you're saying jack of having watched things with that kind of dynamic mm-hmm. but it did feel not entirely like it refused some of that stuff not all of it but like some of the implications of that maybe also Josie brought this up I think there's actually quite a lot of interesting things to say about the Amelie character as like a character and a construction Mm. I have to say like that was the bit where it started to remind me of Borgen the Dane series I was talking about because in Borgen as well what you have is a woman I think the bigger character is a little bit older than Amelie but not that much older who has basically good hearted political commitments but a essentially bourgeois ones and finds herself in a position of supreme power and is just not prepared for the kinds of decisions that you'll have to take the kinds of forces that are going to be pressuring you big in Inborgen makes some really really poor decisions as well around complicity with the us with all kinds of really shitty stuff obviously amelie's missteps are a little bit different but i think broadly comparable that was probably the toughest decision she'd ever had to make and it almost certainly wasn't something she'd ever thought of or been prepared to do because she's basically a technocrat. She thought that, like, I'd get into a position of ultimate administration and then I'll be able to do all these, like, weird manoeuvres with the German Chancellor and, like, fiddle the EU or, like, you know... It's mad what they're saying. They're like, we're going to set up an EU army. It's going to be all one, like, federal Europe. It's going to be, like, just a European the united states of europe it's basically like all the fantasy stuff that the far oh, yeah, right the, the, like from Alemania. and i think this is like the disaster i mean i think it would be good actually to talk about the character of amelie as bearing on this but i think this is a lot of the disaster of certain varieties of centrist politics that actually if you're in charge of a state there's a repressive state apparatus yeah you can't ignore that for the sake of i will do some clever technocracy on the terrain of like economics 
Yeah, like, like there are cops and spies in an army. Yeah, like, and like you're inherit, you're basically taking a baton off people. You're in the middle of this fucking horrendous relay of repression. Yeah, and let's face it, even had Corbyn won the election, he'd have had some problems here, but would have had a solid ethical position to guide him at least. Mm. But, Whereas, of course, maybe it is worth actually talking about Emily now. Yeah, let, like, let's do it because mm. the talk about her plotting with the German guy, who also gets like me too. So they bring in a yeah. lot of like stuff that's going on in the mm. world into mm. it. But that made me think of law. Pierre's own attitude to the EU but I think we should talk about Amelie first because yeah. like she's such an interesting I mean, character. I think... Rick Fudd is the obvious centre of it and is an incredible creation as a character but I think there are two other characters who are properly incredible characterizations. One which I think is worth talking about actually is the National Front leader. Shalon. Like, yeah which is an incredible performance on the yeah. level of acting. Really good yeah. And then the other is Amelie, who's a really fascinating and effective creation. And I think there's a set of political arguments to make about how one watches this as a politically minded person. But all three of these characters, at least, mm. are just like effective in stories and they're well acted mm. in these things. And I think that's very much worth saying. Yeah, I think before we talk about Amelie, actually, shout out for the moment that Shalon shows up to that protest with like a bag of cream puffs <laughs> and offers one to that MP and then Amelie's advisor is watching it and he's like that cream puff was a political bomb <laughs> <laughs> there is some really bait hitting you over the head kind of dialogue yeah. in this but I still love it um, it is the French thing but for Amelie's like what's really interesting to me is so the last episode I think was really revealing the main story or how we're supposed to read it anyway I guess the main story is Philippe actually finally overcoming everything happens left unity is great it's so good it's really good but also i think like actually the key to that episode is is like in the way it deals with amelie's character because she heads back to her parents old house doesn't she with the weird fucking like crank economist she's been shagging <laughs> yeah. like, um, what, what's that guy like i i may totally be like i literally know nothing about this guy actually but i just assume rutger bregman or whatever is yeah like yeah this, yeah this yeah character. basically he's that kind of guy isn't he he's that very like <laughs> can we briefly get on the record that rutger bregman's fucking shit <laughs> rutger bregman's a racist and everything he has to say about politics is banal I and yeah, like the left the reception of him is very bad. And I think you're completely right, Jack, that Rugger Bremen's not a man of the left. He's that weird fucking Maverick. short, like... Pig-faced Short, guy, technocratic, like, yeah. crank, groovy guy. Mm. He's like a fucking knob. Mm. So she takes him back and she shows him, like, all her old books. And she's like, this was my political education. And it's all the kind of classics of, like, second-wave feminism and second-wave French feminism. And okay. that's like, well, that's exactly it, isn't it? Emily's whole politics is feminism. And that means her whole politics is obviously, like, white feminism, bourgeois feminism. She doesn't have a class politics. She doesn't have a race politics. She doesn't have anything like that. She's a feminist through and through. And I think that informs a lot of her choices and explains a lot of her character. That's really interesting. I can definitely see the kind of boardroom feminist yeah 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 like you know i'm a woman and i'm and there is that sense i have it all the time you can be a woman in situations where you know for a fact that a hijabi woman a black woman would be treated much worse but you're still being treated pretty poorly and there's that sense of just like yeah i'm gonna tell these fuckers to fuck off Mm. and it feels like a victory But obviously what you have to then do is connect that to a continuum that goes outwards and you're like okay well there's ways that I treat other people shittily so like I should actually just stop that I don't think Emily has thought that through politically 
What's really interesting to me is that the moment with the German Chancellor when they're planning their big like Franck Alemania, like France-German unity, where they're going to have the same seat at the UN and... <laughs> be an ecological fucking like pan-european dictatorship or whatever so doomed like people in france like Mm -hmm. i don't know about germany but french politics would just reject that in a heart hundred percent yeah (laughs) but like when he gets me too'd and he comes to her and he says this has happened and he's obviously lying to her that he didn't do anything bad because what he does admit to is bad enough and he's like i'm gonna resign and that's obviously because there's more stuff to come out because politicians don't resign if there's like a defensible case and then she goes i believe you we'll fight through it (laughs) and what does it mean for someone who's a feminist and even like her advisor who's a black woman at that point her advisor goes but you were really really in support of me too you can't do this it looks weird and she's like no one gonna do it she's like i'm the iron lady if that's proper exactly yeah she got her like she betrayed her own politics even though her own politics are actually really easy to keep within the bounds of because they don't actually make that many ethical demands on you because like white feminism is essentially a politic of self-interest for white women that's interesting that you say her whole Mm. politics is feminism or this kind of quite reactionary white feminism because i did see her as kind of a neoliberal zealot in her lust for eu integration just the fact that she seems to see there to be a kind of technocratic fix to anything and have no ideological core no kind of class affiliation which like right yeah. and others repeatedly like snipe at her and take the piss out of her for like there's this bit where someone mentions her in the context of the left and right like oh what's left about amelie to quote the great nick cohen book no i'm just kidding it's not oh true, god right? yeah. <laughs> but he does say something like that and she is kind of shown as the far right of not in a ultra socially conservative way but like the hard right of the socialist party like Lohier he's a predecessor as president and socialist party presidential candidate Reichwart says you know I'm left wing you're right wing but I still supported you because I know how to back the right horse and he doesn't seem as right wing as Amelie Lohier seems more Mm. like kind of old labour right but for the socialist party or something like he does seem to have a little bit more traditional socialist politics about him even if he is a right winger i think that's the thing i think amelie is basically neoliberal because she's learned it from her surroundings from her career you know she was in brussels as a kind of advisor and a sort Mm. of bureaucrat for years typical sorry like moved up into like the socialist party ranks as like basically a spad you know, mm. she's like a career kind of political advisor who yeah, basically a bureaucrat kind of like she's she mm. runs what is that like general secretary of the party basically exactly yeah 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 and that's she's just point. got common sense she's got political common sense in the heavy scare quotes yeah and I think like as a British person watching this as well one of the structural things that's quite odd is the gap between being a party bureaucrat and an elected politician is a lot less clear. Yeah. Like, people, like, mm. cross that boundary much more. Like, when she appoints her secretary, prime minister, on the plane. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, exactly. That seems yeah. pretty corrupt. But like... there is kind of a precedent for that in French politics, because, like, yeah. Macron himself had absolutely no... I mean, maybe he was a yeah. Socialist Party member, but he wasn't a professional politician. And then Hollande just appointed him in yeah. what he would later describe as the worst political mistake of his career yeah. as economy and there's minister. there's been a few, so, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I don't think there's, like, a British equivalent where that thing's porous. What's the equivalent here? I mean, the trajectory of Seamus Milne is weird, but it's like... <laughs> 
someone like that breaking over that boundary or someone of a lower level than that yeah there are other examples i give but like i realize every other example we know is deeply problematic but I guess the equivalent would be probably like fave, making shameless Mel a lord, so like we could take up a cabinet position. Yeah, like there are dimensions, mm. but it's a lot more convoluted yeah, yeah, because yeah. you have to go through that process of making someone a lord. Whereas it mm. feels incredibly porous in France. I guess I realised because Josie and I were talking about this over dinner. I think I find Emily as a construction in the program a bit more different because I think the other moment of cowardice in the program is. I watched Borgen for a bit and then gave up because I found it tiresome, which I think overlaps with this. Is Emily feels at times like a centrist fantasy. Yeah. On yeah. the terms of... And I think this is really important. She creates actually, and obviously all of us are way to the left of this project, but the project she proposes to German politics is actually a good politics, you know. It's like a Green New Deal politics. It's yeah, she ma- literally says Green New Deal, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. Massive investment in ecological stuff. Probably a level of investment that the Labour manifesto in 2019 was straining towards mm. but had not quite and got to. And I think to. it's important to note that actually for, in France, because of their relationship with the EU, which has always been much more integrated than ours because we had loads of opt-outs, yeah. they had to have some sort of EU backing, and that yeah. means German backing, yeah, yeah. in order to do this kind of huge spending programme. Yeah. Because what? otherwise, because of the deficit. Yeah. So Germany basically has enormously bad rules about how much deficit yeah. mm. European countries are allowed to run. This is what fucked Greece, yeah? Yeah, of course. And like, mm. what what's kind of interesting in the first series I was going to mention is Lohier, despite being on the right of the party, is willing to take on the EU over this big fine that they slap yeah, yeah, in yeah, France yeah. with. Yeah, no, yeah he really sees them off as well, doesn't he? He's pretty pompous about it and it's quite impressive. Yeah. I thought he gets fucked and has to pay it in the end, though. <laughs> yeah, but it's quite good to see him resisting it and just. Being yeah, yeah, yeah. He is badass for a bit, and then he's just like support. It. I think. Mm. I guess I should flag up. We've got a really good piece in the NS edition about EU debt stuff and political struggles around that, and people ought to read that. That was a message from our sponsors. <laughs> <laughs> right. So we recorded so much of that good shit with Tom and Josie that we're gonna have to put it out to you in two episodes so check out part two coming soon
It's exciting, it's young people, it's crowdsourcing. 